你要说什么？你要说大家好吗 ？If、uh, if someone's willing to spend forty、uh, billion dollars to buy Twitter, then、uh, you know that's not going to happen unless he has some very detailed ideas for how he thinks、uh, Twitter could be made better. Galoko time, everyone, and welcome to this new episode of Innovative Minds with Audrey Tong. Today, we continue our focus on innovation in the world of ideas with a world-famous programmer, co-founder of Ethereum, Vitalik Buterin. He has two million followers on Twitter. He has contributed as a developer and as a patron to many free software projects. He is involved in the research on plurality, technology for collaborative diversity and democracy. Please join me in welcoming our guest. Hi, Vitalik. Hi, Audrey. How are you? Hi, pretty good. A good local time.、Uh, I'm told that you're in the same time zone. Actually, you're in Singapore, right? Yes, I am. Okay,、uh, you've been in Taiwan several times.、Uh, I remember meeting you when I first became digital minister in 2016. We talk about the DAO fork. We talk about climate change.、Uh, since then,、uh, I'm told that you now speak fluent Mandarin. Can you use Mandarin to greet、uh, our audience?、Mm-hmm. 你要说什么？你要说大家好吗？啊，大家好，很好啊。<laughs> 好吧，大家好也可以。好啊，那大家好。Um, in your Twitter bio,、uh, you referred to I think it was Nick Bostrom's fable of the dragon tyrant,、uh, and the fable tells the story of a kingdom where a dragon demands a tribute of thousands of people's life per day, and giving one's life to the dragon seems to be a certainty of nature, and people resign to their fate. However, one day a group of scientists proposed to eliminate the dragon with a missile, and they gained support from the majority of the population. And after twelve years of research, well, they eliminated the dragon, and a new world opens up. So, of course, the moral of the story、uh, is that we should try to overcome the tyranny of death、uh, with science and technology. So, Vitalik, according to you, from what other tyranny must we and could we free ourselves thanks to science and technology?、Mm. Uh, I mean, I think the、uh, goal of、uh, science and、uh, technology. In general, is to try to make our lives easier.、Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think the world would the world would be better if、uh, you know everything was automated and、uh, people did, you know did not have to work just to survive. For example,、mm-hmm. um, I think、uh, you know the world would be much better if、uh, food was、uh, e- easily available and what and、uh, water was easily available for everyone. And、uh, those are all things that I think、uh, technology has already brought us a lot closer to, and uh, could us uh, uh, could bring us、uh, even closer to over the the next、uh, few decades.、Mm-hmm. Um, aside from those kinds of technologies, I、uh, also think like social technology is important.、Uh, so, like technology is that make it easier for people to like organize and、uh, coordinate with large groups. And I guess、uh, you can you can say free us from the tyranny of、uh, badly designed coordination, right?、Um, so one of the ways I sometimes think about this is、uh, like you can think of authoritarianism as being like、um, 1960s era chemotherapy,、mm-hmm. right? Like when people first started figuring out like how to deal with cancer, the、uh, therapies that they came up with at the beginning were sometimes、mm-hmm. like almost as bad as the cancer itself, and、mm-hmm. sometimes sometimes even worse,、mm-hmm. right? Um, and like the only way to be, not have to deal with bad medicine, it turned out to actually be better medicine.、Um, and I see a lot of the、uh, digital democracy work that's being done,、uh, 
by uh, you know yourself and uh, Glenn and many other people as being in that direction. Um, mm -hmm. And you know, I, uh, so I hope that uh, creating better coordination is uh, also a, something that that can free billions of people from uh, various kinds of tyrannies this century. Mm -hmm. Right. So if I hear you right, you first talk about the tyranny of kind of the material scarcity, the fact that before modern uh, technologies, people have to work very long hours to secure food supply and things like that. So that was what uh, already happened, right? A couple of centuries ago, uh, there's technologies that massively helped uh, solving this issue. But you're comparing that to coordination failure, uh, which is um, in the time that people invented um, ways, uh, hierarchical or even tyrannical, like the, the name uh, tyrant, right, <laughs> is actually one way to solve a coordination problem, namely uh, handing authoritarian power to a single person. Uh, but you compare that to something that is much more brute force and that may end up causing more problems. Um, so I think this is a very fresh look uh, to technology, namely treating social technology as technologists. Um, so uh, do, do you identify yourself as a a social technologist, uh, and uh, how would you define that term uh, in the language that uh, like everyone can understand? I would say so. I, mean, I would uh, describe social technology as uh, being technologies um, that help uh, people like better coordinate with and uh, interact with each other. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that is uh, like encompasses a very big uh, group of things, right? Um, so, like, for example, um, you know, Wikipedia is a social technology, podcasts are a social technology, um, you know, liberal democracy is a, a social technology. Um, so it's a, yeah, con it's a concept that, that I think includes like very, uh, very many different kinds of things, like basically ways to organize that we have just uh, discovered or invented over the centuries that uh, are you know in whatever ways better than the uh, ways uh, ways that we knew about before right so if i hear you right it's not necessarily digital technologies basically uh liberal democracy can be thought of as a kind of um, technology because it brings people together they coordinate uh, in ways that didn't exist before the idea of a liberal democracy so in in this line of thought um what is the invention that you have personally participated in that you're proud of uh in a social technologist sense uh and did you expect uh, the technology to be used in such a pro-social way? I don't think there's like any very specific one answer, but mm -hmm. definitely the uh, collection of uh, technologies that uh, I, like emerged in and uh, around the, the, the blockchain and the Ethereum space. Mm -hmm. um, there have obviously been uh, quite a lot. Mm -hmm. Right, like that includes uh, it includes uh, uh, co social kind of coordination technologies. Um, so things like DAOs, for example, mm -hmm. it uh, includes the uh, the blockchain itself. I mean, it includes a lot of the uh, financial um, in infrastructure that and like DeFi that's been built on um, on the blockchain. Even uh, some of the like experiments in uh, very new uh, forms of uh, governance and voting. Um, so like the different forms of quadratic funding that have uh, happened uh, inside of that ecosystem, for example. Mm -hmm. um, I think uh, those are all definitely not things that I would have expected were even possible uh, I, like five years before I started working with them. Um, and, uh, you know, I think like a lot of them are still experiments. Um, a lot of them have had 
the consequences that I expected them to have. And a lot of them have also had the, uh, many kinds of consequences that I have not expected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, a, a little bit more per- personal question, if that's okay with you. So within those five years, you've gone from uh, being a gifted programmer uh, in a uh, meeting in the crypto world uh, and advocate of open source, uh, but now you're uh, a superstar uh, and um, more and more mainstream media pay attention uh, to, to your work uh, and your thoughts. Um, were you ready to embrace this trajectory and what does your new status mean to you? I was definitely not expecting that, you know, Ethereum would succeed to the extent uh, that it has or that, um, you know, even I myself would uh, become well known to anywhere close to the extent uh, that I I have. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I will say that it's definitely not just a benefit. I mean, like, it has lots of downsides too, right? Mm -hmm. Like, uh, if, like, just going around in public, like, uh, um, often I would uh, just get noticed by various people. Uh, when you know all I want to do is just like have some quiet time to myself. Um, whenever I just say anything, um, there's uh, lots of people like jumping at the opportunity to try to uh, come to some conclusion about it, or um, you know criticize it if I've made uh, if I make any um, any kind of mistake or just say something that they don't like. Um, so there are downsides too. Um, I think. Um, on the whole, like it's a yeah, responsibility, um, even more than it is like some uh, some kind of benefit, uh, because uh, you know it basically means uh, that there are lots of people that are looking up to. I mean, I'll say not just myself, but also this kind of bigger uh, community of. Uh, I get, you could think of it as uh, decentralization researchers and uh, developers that have uh, formed ar- um, around the space. And lots of people are like, looking to this uh, community for the solutions to big problems that the world has. And, and I think that comes with a yeah, responsibility to deliver. Uh, and that, like, that could be a, a big responsibility to have. Yeah, trust me, I, I know that feeling. Um, so uh, I, I think uh, one of the one of the points that we talk about when we first met in 2016 uh, was that a, a external pressure, uh, like responding to climate change, climate crisis, like the DAO fork and things like that, uh, they forced the community to think in innovative ways, in inventive ways, and so on. So, and you just mentioned that uh, more and more people from the mainstream look to decentralization as possible solutions are one of the inspiration sources uh, to the new challenges uh, of the world. Uh, do you have some um, like themes in mind? Like what, what the kind of the attention that you're receiving, what, what kind of problems in addition to, of course, um, financial inclusion uh, in hostile environments where banking system doesn't work like the original problem? What, what other problems uh, do you have in mind when you say that? Mm, um, I think... Uh Lots of people want uh, just like better forms of governance in general. Mm-hmm. Like they, yeah, a lot of people I think see that uh, the yeah, like democratic forms of governance that are the most mainstream today mm-hmm. like, um, have uh, a lot of uh, pro- problems uh, to like how they're how they're working, and uh, there's a lot of ways in which they're not adapted to the 21st century. But they're also um, even more afraid of uh, what centralized governance could uh, could end up doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think uh, there's a lot of people who are looking for like some form of uh, governance that is decentralized, but that also is um, updated to the 21st century. Uh, and uh, I mean, like it does a better job of uh, 
helping people come to consensuses that um, you know most people f uh, find very agreeable than the tools that we have now. And I think that's true for organizations. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's uh, very true in the social media space. Like mm -hmm. there's a lot of people who are interested in trying to come up with uh, better forms of social media. And like, I think this is, this is an area where like everyone, I think recognizes that the, there is a lot of room to change and improve it somehow, right? Like, you know, on one side, there's uh, people like Elon Musk that mm -hmm. you know, I, I think announced today that he wants to take mm -hmm. over Twitter. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, mm -hmm. if uh, if someone's willing to spend uh, forty billion dollars to buy Twitter, then uh, you know that's not going to happen unless he has some very detailed ideas for how he thinks uh, Twitter could be made better. On the other hand, within the crypto space, there's like at least 20 different projects uh, trying to do decentralized social media. Of, like Some of them are coin-based, some of them are like, per-person voting-based. Uh, there's uh, you know, this very big, long uh, collection of uh, ideas that people are experimenting with. Uh, some you know, for improving like content curation, uh, for improving um, monetization, uh, and uh, various other things. So. It's it's a problem that a lot of people are watching. I think like both in, inside of the crypto space and uh, outside of it. Um, so, like figuring out whether or not um, you know there there are good solutions that work and like what forms of decentralization make sense mm -hmm. there. I think is also a problem that's like, very interesting and important. Okay, so there's uh, two broad problems that you outlined um, that people look to decentralization as a possible source of solution. Uh, one is the just democracy itself, right, in backslide, the political environment. And the other thing is centralized social media platforms that are just not very pro-social, right? So somewhat anti-social and how to solve that. And um, I'm reminded of uh, a couple of years ago, you had a tweet where you expressed your pessimism about, uh, and I quote, the ability of centralized social media platforms to stay highly independent of the political environment of the country that they are centered in, end of quote. Now, um, it's hard to tell from this tweet alone, uh, like whether you mean that the social media should stay independent or not, whether the political environment you have in mind is democratic or authoritarian. And uh, I would not like to quote you out of context. So can you add back some of the context um, like today uh, between the political environment and the centralized social media? Um, do you see a pathway in which that the relationship the two can change uh, thanks to decentralization or which one should change first and in which direction? Sure. Um, I think uh, like there is a lot of value to this concept of like some kind of global public square, uh, where um, you know not just governments, diplomats, but also people from around the world uh, can uh, talk to each other and exchange ideas and, and uh, better understand each other. Um, and I think like up to about ten years ago. A lot of people kind of passively without really thinking about it mm -hmm. sort of assumes that the yes large silicon valley tech platforms mm -hmm. were that right mm -hmm. because um at the time you know the amount of pressure on them to do specific things was uh, much less and it sort of didn't really matter as much whether they were based in um you know the united states or switzerland or malaysia or europe or wherever else uh but since then, the uh, just global political environment has uh, become much more competitive, um, and 
both between countries and uh, within different countries. And so we've seen like lots of specific incidences of these uh, platforms making these kind of very opinionated decisions um, on you know, which people to kick off of Twitter, which people to keep on Twitter, um, which people to put warning labels beside, and so on and so forth. Um, and like, I think the consequences of every one of those uh, decisions is complicated. And, um, you know, it's possible that some of them are good and some of them are bad. Uh, but like in general, it, I think it, it does have the cons the consequence that it has kind of corroded their reputation as being able to be that uh, global public square, right? Because people are realizing that like, well, basically there is this small group of people that is, uh, you know, based around one place that comes from a yeah, very similar culture, mm -hmm. like not even just, um, you know, American culture, but a very specific subset of American culture mm -hmm. that is making a lot of these judgment calls. Um, and, you know, the responses that we've seen from that, like a lot of uh, even governments around the world that have uh, started banning Twitter recently, like they, they even cite its uh, kind of lack of uh, neutrality and the extents to which it, like, its moderation like basically favors Western ideas as like one of the big reasons why uh, they're doing that. Mm -hmm. um, so I do think there is this open question, right, of like if these platforms, uh, you know, in their current form are not able to be this uh, global public square, then like what should the global public square be, right? Like what would even make sense for a yeah, global public square of some kind to look like? Like, or, you know, sh like, should there even be some like uh, something similar to Twitter, right? Like, what if we do like basically want just a large number of islands that where people can uh, more easily talk inside of their communities, and there's uh, relatively less like um, interaction happening between those com those communities. And so, if you say something, it doesn't like just get equally broadcasted to the world all at once. Mm -hmm. uh, so. I mean, I think there's many different kinds of decentralization there, right? Like, you know, you can talk about making a, yeah, like, say, blockchain-like platform that doesn't censor anything, but then even if it doesn't censor anything, there's still the question of, like, well, you know, what algorithm gets used to prioritize which, which messages get on top, right? Like, at the very least, because people are going to spam it, you have to have uh, some algorithm, and then, mm -hmm. like, you know, who decides that or... You know, can it be something neutral? Um, or is it something federated? Is it uh, something where people themselves kind of like choose, um, you know, which views of the you know, world that they have? Is it, is it some kind of, um, you know, kind of go governance across the system that is uh, democratic between the, the, the platform's users somehow? Like, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I do think that I'm, I'm happy to see people tr like thinking about these uh, kinds of ideas and uh, trying to figure out like mm -hmm. what, like what kind of a yeah, global public square, you know, or lack of one uh, actually makes sense. I mean, I, I definitely don't think you know, we have the, per the perfect answer yet. I think this is still one of those things where like we still have to you know, try and understand better what's going to come after. All right. So you mentioned a couple of positive things, right? You compared that to spam uh, and spam uh, fighting around the turn of the century was actually one of the early success of the decentralized internet community in which we do not have to blacklist entire jurisdictions from sending emails, uh, but rather uh, formed local communities that reported spam uh, voluntarily and formed norms around spam house and things like that. And you also mentioned Wikipedia, which to my knowledge um, is of course blocked in some places, <laughs> but is largely seen as run by uh, a norm aware local community, especially if it's not English 
English Wikipedia, but a local language Wikipedia, and so on. So there, there's some uh, kind of promising um, pilots uh, in open source decentralization in tackling uh, this issue that now uh, people associate uh, with social media. Um, but people don't immediately think of crypto uh, when they think of possible solutions. I mean, uh, you and I know there's a lot of uh, cryptography involved uh, if we're going to build uh, new global public squares that can be uh, plural in the sense that local communities take control. But people's general association to crypto is not that. I, I remember Peter Thiel once said, and I quote, crypto is libertarian uh, and AI is communist, uh, end of quote. Now, AI is communist. Um, nowadays, people understand it's because, well, the code is driven by data. The data writes the code and data holds into centralized data stores. Uh, but libertarian, uh, in a sense, carries this notion that it's just a bunch of individuals uh, and not trusting any communities and so on. Uh, so as an advocate of a more plural, community-oriented decentralization, uh, how would you say or how would you put that differently uh, in this mainstream association of crypto nowadays? I think uh, different people have different visions of uh, what the word libertarian means, mm -hmm. and uh, like different people also have different visions of uh, what crypto means, mm -hmm. right? Like, you know, on the one side, there is this uh, kind of like you could call it, you know, Bitcoin maximalism. The world is dangerous. Uh, trust no one. You know, maybe trust your family, uh, but otherwise, like always, guard keep your guard out. Uh, kind of uh, vision. Mm -hmm. uh, but then on the other hand, um, you know, there there's this uh, vision that involves like a lot of uh, you know people forming uh, various different kinds of uh, de you know de decentralized organizations that uh, cooperate with each other and where trust is often involved but it's not about reducing trust it's about the choice of of uh, whom to trust mm -hmm. um so i think that you know within the crypto space like that that entire spectrum of uh, visions exists right so uh, like i mean you know, there is bitcoin which is trying to just be about like helping people protect their own finances and then on ethereum like there are some people who use ether uh, as just a form of money that's uh, kind of very protected and they've like um, own it themselves um, and uh, they're attracted to that but then there's also people who you know participate in daos for example and uh, where these daos often end up collectively um, allocating pretty large amounts of capital now mm -hmm. right so like for example even uh, like right now, the Uniswap DAO has more funds in it than the Ethereum Foundation. Mm -hmm. um, so in some ways, you know, the Ethereum Foundation isn't even the largest uh, Ethereum ecosystem player anymore. Um, you know, there's projects uh, like Gitcoin that have been uh, running for more than two years. There's uh, all kinds of like other smaller projects that people are trying to make. Mm -hmm. um, and so I... Like personally, like I, I don't see you know Ethereum, for example, as being necessarily about like any one of those visions. Mm -hmm. Like I, I, I definitely don't see it as being like about mm -hmm. trying to realize like kind of my favorite points on the spectrum. Mm -hmm. um, I see it as being a collection of people that I think uh, are mostly aligned on a lot of things, but also disagree on uh, quite a lot of things. Um, and where there is enough space for people to uh, try these uh, different ideas and see what uh, ends up actually working, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's uh, important for uh, crypto in general to uh, kind of be like that um, and be 
open to pe uh, people of many different kinds of philosophies, right? Because, uh, like, I mean, it, it definitely is true uh, that the largest, uh, like, applications of crypto in terms of numbers of users today mm -hmm. uh, tends to revolve around, like, just having money and sending money around. But, you know, there are definitely these other groups of people that are trying to also do all kinds of other things. Um, and... You know, I think there's a lot of very interesting ideas in there, and I'm confident that you know, at least some of them are going to be quite successful. Okay, yeah, I'm reminded uh, that uh, during the first uh, kind of internet dot-com boom, uh, I uh, always reminded people that it's not just dot-com. Uh, for example, Wikipedia is dot-org, so not the entire internet uh, is optimizing for the financial uh, profit motive. There are dot-org, dot-edu for education, dot-net, and many other um, thoughts as well. So during the war in Ukraine, uh, we saw the emergence of open-source intelligence community on the networks. Uh, the cryptography, of course, helped them uh, to send out uh, uncensored information, uh, and the communities even worked together to out-meme, uh, essentially, uh, the, the other narrative uh, over the course of the conflict. Uh, in the cryptocurrency space, donations have also helped uh, to support uh, from afar. How does this inspire you, and do you see, on the flip side, any harms being caused by this kind of open-source collaboration? in this conflict? Mm, I think the uh, war in Ukraine was definitely a uh, watershed moment for the uh, crypto space in a lot of ways, right? Because uh, the uh, amount of uh, funding that was uh, sent to the, uh, you know, both the Ukrainian government and to uh, charities, um, you know, supporting refugees and humanitarian causes, it was large. Like in total, I think it's over $130 million right now. Like these are more money than was uh, provided by like even uh, some uh, fairly significant nation states. Um, so I think it shows that, uh, you know, whatever crypto is going to be, uh, crypto is not going to be nothing. Um, and in some ways that really puts it into a uh, very different category from uh, what it was before in the 2010s, which is this the kind of small thing that is uh, kind of growing up and still uh, you know, just uh, trying to quietly develop itself. Um, so I think, um, you know, in this particular case, like, I've been very impressed by the crypto communities, like both the Ethereum community and uh, many other communities that have uh, stepped up to help. Uh, definitely impressed, but with the uh, just Ukrainian government's uh, level of, uh, un of understanding and uh, willingness to work with, um, you know, both crypto, but also uh, many other kinds of uh, fairly new um, internet technologies. Uh, so I definitely think that like, there's a lot of good that has been done both with crypto and with the internet in general, though there definitely are risks as well, right? Like one uh, particular example of this is uh, I think there was a subreddit, um, I forget the name, uh, where people were basically like gathering up and like posting uh, pictures of uh, things happening in Ukraine. And there were some signs that like possibly some of those pictures were actually being like watched by Russian intelligence mm -hmm. and ended up being used as information for them to figure out who to target. Right. Mm -hmm. And like that definitely is a yeah, tragedy. Right. And like, it's, a tra I think, a tragedy, not just from kind of my point of view um, as uh, you know, someone who wants uh, Ukraine to survive and, and the Ukraine to prosper, but also just from the point of view that like these are definitely uh, you know well-meaning people that are just are curious about uh, what's going on and that are 
like feel compassion for uh, people in the situation and wants to help. Uh, but, but they ended up doing things that had kind of the opposite effects to uh, what they expected. Right. Mm-hmm. And like this to me is an example of uh, the, one of the challenges of uh, this kind of technology, which is that like it empowers um, a lot of people who weren't empowered before, but a lot of the people that uh, get like freshly empowered in this way, they uh, don't really have much experience uh, having that kind of power. Um, and so sometimes, you know, they do end up making mistakes um, and they uh, end up uh, kind of quickly um, you know, t- uh, taking actions that uh, they're going to end up regretting, right? And like, to me, that's definitely a, a metaphor for like things that happen in crypto as well, for example, um, right? Like in... In crypto, there's definitely plenty of people who make mistakes. Uh, there's, uh, you know, plenty of people that fall for various kinds of scams. There's plenty of people that just uh, accidentally send their coins to the zero address and can't get them out, and so forth. And so it does show how kind of the you know rapid uh, development of technology uh, does need to, I think, like uh, you know, coincide with uh, education happening uh, around that technology at the same time. Um, and like how to do that kind of uh, education and actually uh, properly put effort into it. I think it's a, it's, a, it's a challenge that exists in the wider world. I think it's a challenge that also exists in the crypto space as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the kind of communication uh, from the uh, Ukrainian uh, cabinet, and I've watched like real-time Twitter exchanges uh, between you <laughs> and the Ukrainian uh, officials. I think that has a... A uh, very prominent educational effect, right? The, f- uh, the fact-checking process that led you to believe that this wallet actually lead uh, to charities and other pro-social um, efforts, and uh, the kind of steps that you're taking, not just uh, through private communications but publicly, so that people can learn uh, these are the things to watch out for, and so on. I think it's quite educational uh, for for all, a lot of people. So, um, so for decentralized and open-source communities, is is there a more kind of lead by example in addition to regulation form of, um, let's say, just norm-based uh, interaction that you can advise uh, officials? And I'm, of course, wearing the digital ministry.tw hat, but in general uh, to the liberal democracies. Is there something that we can proactively do uh, with an eye on leading by example? Mm. I think uh, setting good examples is uh, definitely something that's uh, really important. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, I think in an environment um, as uh, chaotic as uh, you know, both the crypto space, but also more of the you know, world in general, it's often the only thing that you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And I think we've seen in the crypto space, like the power of uh, examples being used both for good and for um, ill um, in uh, certain cases. Right. Like uh, if you look at, um, you know, even like smart contract security, for example, I think we've been seeing a steady upward trend in like parts of uh, like the uh, uh, crypto space. Definitely not all of it, but I think very big parts of it in and of taking security more and more seriously. And we've come a lot from the days in uh, 2016 when the DAO uh, broke uh, or got hacked as a result of a fairly simple bug to um, you know systems like Uniswap or MakerDAO that have uh, survived for years without issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then also we've been seeing um, you know negative examples like one of them might be 
this uh, phenomenon where people who create newer cryptocurrencies um, end up kind of get, like the the pre mine the uh, share of the uh, of the initial issuance uh, that just directly goes to the founders and to a very small number of people like that in, in a lot of cases has been increasing over time right like before 2015 um, you know most cryptocurrency pre-mines were either very small or zero but now um, especially in the vc space mm -hmm. it often comes pretty close to 100 percent um mm -hmm. and like that's an example of um, you know, a trend that I do think that did come as a result of people like imitating each other, but it's a uh, trend that I think also has a lot of negatives. Mm -hmm. um, so in general, I think uh, making like better uh, positive examples uh, is possible. There are lots of uh, projects uh, that, that I think are doing it. Uh, even um, you know with, within the Ethereum space, I think there have been some pretty great examples of uh, self-policing. Mm -hmm. um, like one other success story of uh, self-policing uh, in Ethereum that I think I can tell is uh, client diversity, right? Uh, so what happens here is basically that we have like four or multiple different, I think at least four, maybe five now, um, implementations of the Ethereum protocol. So these are different independently developed pieces of code that all try to implement the Ethereum spec. Mm -hmm. uh, and one of the reasons why we have uh, many of them is so that if there is a bug in any one of them, then as long as the yeah, the the portion of the nodes that use that one client is uh, less than um, you know one half or even less than two thirds, mm -hmm. the network doesn't just completely break to the same extent. Mm -hmm. uh, so, but the the problem though is that there was one client uh, Prism that uh, actually started off um, having a market share of like somewhere around seventy or eighty percent. Um, and so, even though we had this kind of decentralization of many implementations in theory. In practice, like most people were using one of them, and so we did not uh, end up actually getting that much benefit. And there was this large community-wide effort to just call up and convince um, all, all major um, stakers, um, you know, staking providers, people writing the tools to, that help other people stake, to try to like not make Prism be the default and, and to try to kind of balance things out more and start using other clients. And it seems like that's actually been successful now. Like it seems like Prism is down to a little, a little bit under, or a little bit over fifty percent, uh, and the the rest is like a balance between the yeah, other clients, right? Mm -hmm. So like positive examples like that can and uh, do happen, um, but at the same time, um, you know, he definitely wants to also create these uh, race to the bottom situations where someone does something bad um, and they suffer no negative consequences um, and other people take a clue from that uh, and then that just becomes a pattern right mm -hmm. and and i do think that maybe in part for that reason like it's not just about people convincing other people to be nice like sometimes mm -hmm. there does have to be some mm -hmm. kind of power like some some kind of actual carrot or like, actual stick behind these norms mm -hmm. uh, and i mean in some now that doesn't like always have to be regulation. Like mm -hmm. sometimes it can be, um, you know, users uh, in, uh, inside of a space, but there does need to be a characteristic of some kind to prevent the negative examples from forming. But I do think that, like, if you do, or if we do our job better as uh, uh, kind of, I guess, gardeners of the community is uh, w one of the metaphors that I like. Then um, you know the power of example does most of the work, um, and uh, the amount of like intervention that you have to actually do yourself should uh, you know possibly be significant at the beginning, but eventually stabilize uh, to a level where it becomes a pr uh, 
a pretty low overtime. Mm-hmm. A gardener, you said, like in a garden. Um, so doing things like you know merging uh, the branches and purging. Uh, so uh, what, what I'm uh, getting from from your answer is that um, the leadership uh, or gardening, uh, as you put it, I, I like the term, the gardeners uh, are now seeing that it's not just about uh, hard-coded code uh, in the protocol or in the software uh, that ensures balance and accountability and distributed power and so on, but rather the way that we behave uh, between the gardeners and so on uh, must itself uh, lead by example. And it's not just about public records of the implementation uh, maintainers doing uh, the council of uh, video conference meetings. Of course, that's a very good start, but also about proactively treating us, not just doing infrastructure, but critical infrastructure, uh, like uh, it's almost like water supply, right? And and uh, adapting the cybersecurity norms, the review norms, uh, the various norms that really only critical infrastructure providers um, take responsibility to themselves. Is that a fair summary? Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, and so are, are there innovations uh, in this regard uh, that you see recently as important uh, in ensuring this kind of balance of accountability and distributed power? Because we talk about excesses, criminal behaviors and things like that. Uh, innovations that empower the people who just want to exploit uh, other people. And we talk also about social technologies. One of the early insight of Wikipedia is that with sufficient amount of automate moderator tools, the game of attrition uh, can be played in the favor of the moderators uh, so that people who want to do vandalism and so on, uh, their time uh, must be burned uh, much more uh, than the moderators and so on. Uh, so what kind of innovations in that regard uh, do you see as important either in Ethereum or other crypto or any decentralized um, community that is maybe promising for us to invest more either time or funding toward? Yeah, I mean, I think the answer depends on uh, what kind of risk that you are trying to guard mm -hmm. against, right? So, look, one example of a risk that you might want to guard against um, is the risk that there will be a kind of hostile takeover of the governance of the mm -hmm. system. Yep. Um, another risk is uh, that people will, um, like... Uh, uh, create scams and uh, tr like basically convince uh, you know newbies that don't uh, uh, kind of understand what's going on well to put a lot of money into the scams. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a yeah, third risk might be that like something gets hacked uh, and uh, a lot of money gets stolen. Um, a fourth risk might even be that like there isn't you know, um, any kind of like you know theft or harm uh, per se but like someone's money gets lost for example because they just make a made a mistake mm -hmm. uh so i think uh, depending on which of those risks uh, you wants to deal with the mm -hmm. kinds of strategies that you might want to use in uh, response are different mm -hmm. right so like for example i think uh, if we talk specifically about the risk of a political capture mm -hmm. like both bitcoin and ethereum have these uh, pretty strong uh, kind of detailed philosophies and often mm -hmm. uh, you know created through experience um, about how to deal with those kinds of situations right mm -hmm. so like in the case of bitcoin for example it's converged on this approach that says it should be very hard to change the yeah, protocol mm -hmm. and users and like people who run nodes 
by default should view uh, the idea of uh, installing an upgrade that changes mm -hmm. the rules with uh, a lot of suspicion yep. um, and only really do it if there is a lot of like consensus among um, you know many different kinds of uh, users that it's a good idea. Mm -hmm. um, in Ethereum, I think there is uh, more of a balance between um, avoiding risk and innovation. Um, and there are also some different uh, ideas that are, uh, I think, unique to Ethereum, right? So like, for example, the separation between uh, implementation and uh, specification mm -hmm. is uh, one uh, Ethereum idea, right? As so, like how if we have these many different clients um, and uh, no single one of those uh, client teams uh, can, um, you know, single-handedly control the protocol, they have to accept changes. But then there also is this research team that's separate from them. Well, they're even a research community and not mm -hmm. just like a, a team within one organization that is uh, actually developing these uh, new proposals. Uh, so that is uh, a different uh, approach, right? It's like, instead of uh, you know, like kind of putting up walls and making things hard, it's, I guess, more of a yeah, pluralist uh, strategy. Mm -hmm. But it, it's also there, I think, to try to kind of create this uh, you know, stable political structure that ensures that the protocol uh, like develops well and governance doesn't get captured. Um, if we're talking about risks of um, you know people getting hacked or people losing money, uh, then a lot of the responses to that end up happening at the uh, user interface level, mm -hmm. right? So like wallets, for example, they have uh, teams that are doing a lot of work in uh, trying to detect uh, scams and hacks and uh, different kinds of attacks and, and trying to protect their users from that, right? Like uh, there's... Uh, these uh, wallets, like they even include their own uh, blacklist of websites. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you ac if you try to access a page where that page is already known to be a scam, then mm -hmm. the yeah, wallet uh, like, doesn't take you to that page, and uh, instead it shows you it shows you a warning. Mm -hmm. uh, there is uh, you know protection against uh, accidentally sending many kind. Uh, many kinds of transactions. There's uh, a lot of uh, thinking going uh, going into the uh, interface and how to make it harder to, for people to accidentally send um, certain kind, do certain kinds of things or, you know, prevent like just you maliciously created user interfaces from just immediately grabbing all of people's money. Mm -hmm. um, so I think like depending on uh, what kind of issue it is, um, you often see different parts of the ecosystem being the being the first uh, kind of primary responder to it, and uh, you know the, the response to di different problems often looks very different. Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, one one specific question about one uh, particular uh, risk scenario, uh, just to make things more more tangible. Um, what if uh, the the implementers um, they, after discovering some research, uh, decide to change the protocol uh, to implement this this shiny new uh, research on a test net or something, uh, and then um, people collectively decide that it's a it's a better idea, uh, and then after years of te testing, uh, decided that it will reduce uh, electricity use and therefore better uh, for the planet, uh, and then. Um, of course, something unforeseen happens uh, and that uh, merge uh, fails. So this kind of risk and 
scenario, and you've been planning um, around this with communities for many years now. <laughs> so, so what kind of uh, layers uh, in the kind of multi-branch community structure that you just outlined uh, is in charge in addition to the cybersecurity and the auditing and the research that goes against this kind of failure mode? Um, sure. Yeah, I think there is definitely like many different uh, layers of depth to the response, mm -hmm. right? So one of the layers of depth uh, that you mentioned is uh, just having a lot of like security testing and auditing. Mm -hmm. um, another layer is the multi-client um, mechanism, right? Where if one implementation has a bug, uh, then everyone running the yeah, other implementations like still uh, functions uh, well, uh, hopefully, and so the network keeps function mm -hmm. functioning, and the people running the broken clients can. Uh, Hopefully, just mm -hmm. uh, quickly, yeah. hope just quickly switch to the other ones. Mm -hmm. um, other um, layers of defense are more at the social layer, right? So, like for example, there have been a lot of people who have been concerned uh, that like miners would uh, do something uh, crazy near the end because like ultimately, um, you know, the merge is uh, very much against miners' interests because it takes away proof of work mm -hmm. and it takes away yep. the proof of work block reward. Mm -hmm. um, and like miners have been given plenty of warning about this, right? Like oh, it's been known that Ethereum uh, would uh, eventually switch to proof of stake like basically since the beginning. Um, but, uh, you know, there are, have been this concern of like, oh, you know, would they try to like raise last minute objections or would they try to um, even attack the network to try to prevent the, the merge from happening? Mm -hmm. And the responses to the response to that, um, I think one part of it is just uh, having this uh, very a tough community norm uh, that basically says we agreed that the merge is happening, um, and uh, you know we're not going to like, or we're going to put a very high bar um, mm -hmm. on um, attempts to stop it at this point, um, and. If there is an attack during the merge, then there are even some backup options that have been written into the yeah, clients. Uh, so, like users could just agree off chain on uh, starting the chain from some particular block hash, for example, right? Um, so, like, there's ways for people to coordinate off chain to uh, uh, to recover if that's what we end up really having to do. Um, there have also been like lots of uh, discussions uh, between the the different groups uh, to try to reduce tension. Um, and like a lot of the miners, for example, like many of the ones that don't oppose the merge, like they don't oppose it because they're not just miners, right? Mm -hmm. Like they've known proof of stake is coming and they're yeah, not they just miners. They're also going to, yes. exactly, they're going to be stakers. Um, mm -hmm. And like aligning people's incentives that way so that like instead of uh, de defeating the enemy, you just don't have an enemy in the first place and instead you have a friend. Like, mm -hmm. I think that's the uh, best uh, solution of all, uh, if possible. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's also uh, something that like, people in the uh, community have done. Mm -hmm. So it's like game warping, right? Taking negative sum or zero sum games and turning it positive sum. So formulas, I mean, um, what were the formulas about? There were like formulas for the population of bunnies. There are formulas for like how fast bunnies can go over time and what, like, what their, their acceleration is um, and um, all of these different things. Um, I think this was just, a, you know, the seven-year-old version of myself trying to create this kind of weird fantasy science fiction world that's just really cool. 
definitely very impressed by yeah, you know many kinds of uh, things and many communities in Taiwan. Uh, I yeah, I've always appreciated in the local developer scene uh, just people's ability to like people's excitement to learn um, and people's willingness to self-organize. Like there's just people who independently decides to go and form study clubs about uh, various kinds of uh, topics. Taiwan doesn't feel like feel like it tries very hard to be impressive it just kind of tries to be itself and i know i think there's something very beautiful about that i'm vitalik see you on taiwan plus i'm audrey tong see you on taiwan plus